Welcome again to Rancho Baptist Church, and thank you so much for choosing to come and worship with us this morning. I am Pastor Jason, and I have the, the pleasure, the privilege, and, and the great responsibility of bringing the Word this morning and many other Sundays. We are making our way through the book of Acts, so you can turn to Acts chapter 10. And as you turn there, I'd like to frame our minds again upon where we're going to travel this morning. Looking at God's Word and salvation, so great a salvation. I have a question for you. And that question is, is this, what matters to God? What matters the most to God? If I were to, to hand out a sheet, and, and that was the only question on it, what would be your response? What truly matters the most to God? I, I'm, I'm sure that we, we could have all sorts of different answers. As there are many things that no doubt matter to our Lord. But I believe what is, what is central throughout Scripture what we see time and time again, and what we will see this morning is that what matters to God is the gospel is salvation. And this is something that we need to get right. As far as how we communicate the gospel, how we consider salvation, what we think of salvation. And if you are like me, you like airplanes. Why? Because when we were in Papua New Guinea serving as missionaries, we traveled in airplanes all the time. And it is something, honestly, that, that our family kind of misses. And if someone, just randomly, gave, gave me a Cessna 206. <laughs> and they said, here, Pastor Jason, take this. Well, okay, I don't have my pilot's license, so that'd be the first problem. But let's say I decided, you know what, man, I love the Cessna 206. But all the flying that I did, to be completely honest, that prop and that motor spinning all the time and all that loud noise, it's just too obnoxious. And I know that if I, if I get this thing running and humming in, in my neighborhood, my, my, all my neighbors are going to complain. So the first thing I'm going to do is I, I'm, I'm going to take that prop off and, 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 and just, you know, make it a lot silenter. And then, man, I'm, I'm having a hard time turning down my street, not running into everybody with the great big wings. And, and, then, and then where am I going to park it? So I decide, okay, yes, I'm going to bring in the wings. I'm going to shorten them. And, and the more that I shorten them, I, I decide, well, you know what? I can't really shorten them enough to get this thing into my garage. So I'm just going to get rid of the wings. But, yeah, I'll just get rid of the wings and, and I'll make the doors really long and cool looking and sleek. And, and then as I get in, I notice that the windshield... If, if you guys have been in a little Cessna, the windshield's really small. And even the windows for the passengers are really small. And I'm thinking, that won't do. I want a great big windows on the sides and a great big windshield. And so I do all that, and, and then I invite you. And I say, hey, I want you to come on vacation with the Swansons. We're going to fly to Hawaii. Hey, it's our dime. You just come along. Okay, you pay for the hotel, we'll pay for the flight costs. And so you come in and you jump into that plane, that retrofitted, that, that reinvented plane of mine. And, and, and no doubt you're thinking, this will never work. 
Why? Be- because I've changed the structure. I've changed the design of that particular airplane. Do you, do you know that some people do that with the gospel? They decide, you know what? If, if I preach too much about hell, that, that's, that, uh, people are just going to think that's kind of, that's kind of harsh. And so, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take that part out. I'm actually just going to cross out all those parts in the Bible that, that talk about an eternal separation of torment. And then others say, oh, you know, sin, that, that's also something that, that seems awfully judgmental. So, so let's just not talk about sin. This actually has come into missions too. There's mission organizations now that have said, you know what, we don't need to give the gospel. You know what Jesus was all about was was helping people in their needs, socially, physically. So tell you what, we're, we're not going to share the gospel anymore. We're just going to do well-drilling projects and give people water. And please, I, I, I lived with a people group for nearly 20 years who so desperately needed help. I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't help people physically, but what I'm saying is that what's central to the gospel is Christ is sin and eternity with the Lord and eternity of a soul is what is at stake. And so this morning, this is what we are going to see displayed before our very eyes, so great a salvation. And I believe what we are going to see is we're going to see the blueprints The blueprints for the gospel. What you and I need to understand about the gospel. What the gospel is. Who the gospel is for. So turn with me to Acts chapter 10 verses 34 to 48. As we see this, the the miraculous representation of the gospel and so great a salvation coming to Cornelius and coming to his family and all those That the Lord has gathered, that the Lord has prepared, and that now, as we saw last week, Peter is ready. And this is what happens. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears Him and does what is right is welcome to Him. The word which He sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. We are witnesses of all the things He did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. 
All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful for the message of salvation. We are thankful for what you teach us in your word about salvation, that salvation comes through only one means and through only one person, and that is the means of faith, by way of grace through the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would guide us into truth now that you would make your word clear, that you wouldn't just make your, clear, your word clear, but that you would work in our hearts, that you would stir in our hearts a desire to follow you and to take your word out to the world and to our neighborhoods and share your precious gospel with others. For it's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So what we see here really is Peter's fourth sermon. And what we are going to see that for all the things that look different about the sermon, there are many things that are the same. Even though this sermon is so much shorter than the other sermons that we've seen from Peter. And that could be because all that Luke gives us is a summary. And perhaps when Peter preached this, he had all sorts of examples that he pulled in. But, but we don't see that presented to us this morning. What we see is, is really kind of a, a quick little glimpse into what Peter shared. And yet, for all that we see, we see one thing that is very clear that needs to be the same for you and I. That when we talk the Gospel, when we share the Gospel with someone, the central figure, everything needs to point to Christ. He is the foundation. He is the central figure of the gospel. And so we need to, to point to him continually. So first, what we are going to see is so many wonderful aspects of salvation of the gospel this morning as represented in these short verses here in this fourth sermon by Peter. The first thing is the scope of salvation or another way to think of this would be who the gospel is for who is the gospel for and we will see clearly that the gospel is for everyone look at verses 34 and 35 opening his mouth peter said i most certainly understand now that god is not one to show partiality but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him so notice what Peter does first. And this is what you and I must do at some point. And what does he do? Quite literally, he opens his mouth. What's the idea? What's the intent? Well, he's going to say something. So in order for the gospel to be communicated, you cannot just live the gospel. You must speak the gospel. For, for that neighbor that lives down the street from you, who, who your kids are, are just being so gracious, and, and you guys go to that person's house. 
every other Saturday and, 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 and you mow their lawn. Man, that is a wonderful gospel witness. But that really is the preparation. That's what we saw last week and what the Lord has been doing in Cornelius and Cornelius' family's life. Preparing them to what? To hear the message. At some point, you can't just keep going and doing his lawn or her lawn and think that, that somehow they're, they're just going to all of a sudden go, oh yes, Jesus died upon the cross for me. Now I understand. It's clear. No, at some point, we have to open our mouth and we have to speak the words of the gospel. And then what do we see? How does Peter start? Well, he starts with the condition of man. As seen through what he says. He says now that he understands God is not partial. Before, Peter didn't quite understand this. What did he think? He thought the gospel, he thought Christ's church was only for the nation of Israel, for the Jews. So in order for someone to become saved, first they would have to become a Jew. And now he understands that is not the case. God is not like him. God is not like you and I. He does not choose favorites. The gospel is available to all. And yet when I say that, does that mean that all are saved? Just because the gospel is available and the gospel is universal in its scope, meaning that the Lord wants the gospel to go to everyone. The doors to His church are wide open. Does that mean that all are saved? No. That does not mean just because it's available that, number one, it's accessible to all. We lived among a, a people group in the jungles of Papua New Guinea who had never heard of Jesus Christ. Never, ever. They did not have the Bible in their language. So in order for them to come to faith, they first had to hear. And in order for them to hear, someone had to preach. Someone had to go to them. And yet, even then, even at that point when the Gospel was not only available, but it was accessible, then what had to happen? There was still no guarantee that they were going to believe. And, and what encouragement this should be to us as we see the way the Lord responds. Do you know it's not our responsibility on how they're going to respond. That is the Lord. The Lord is the one preparing the heart. The Lord is the one very clearly that has prepared Cornelius and his family for the gospel. And yet to think of this, consider who Cornelius is, how he has been raised, no doubt he, he's, he's been raised from, from a little guy worshiping the Roman gods, small g gods. And, and yet, if there are many ways to heaven, then, then that would have been fine. And, and many would say today, oh, Pastor Jason, it, it's not about who you place your faith in, it's how sincere your faith is. So if you sincerely believe that Buddha is the way, then that will work for you in the end. Or if you sincerely believe Muhammad is the way, then that will work for you in the end. Or, okay, if you believe in Jesus, that's great for you. But let them believe what they believe. Well, the problem with the, that is that is not what Scripture teaches. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. There's no other means to be saved. And, and that is exactly where Peter is going to go. And I think even as far as Cornelius goes, the, the Roman, small g gods, 
that, that, that wasn't enough. So what did he do? He then became kind of Jewish. He started following Judaism. And we see that, he, that he's doing that well. That he has a fear for the Lord. We, we saw that last week. But is that enough? No. Why? Because the Lord has to send someone to him. Because there is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And that is the message that we hold. That is the message that we proclaim. And so now Peter has, has come full circle. And what he thought before is no longer what he believes now. And, he, and, and, and the words that Jesus had said before in John 10.16, where he said, I have other sheep which are not of this full. That was in particular speaking to the nation of Israel. And now Peter understands that. And yet today there are still those who are without a gospel witness. And the Lord wants us involved in reaching them. And we can reach them through going. Perhaps maybe that's what the Lord has for for some of you. Perhaps the Lord has been preparing you in order for you to go to where they do not know yet of Jesus Christ. Or perhaps the Lord would would have you to become a prayer warrior for those that, that we are supporting, for those missionaries that you know. Or if you want to know, you come and talk to me and I will give you all sorts of missionaries that you can pray for. Or perhaps the Lord has blessed you financially. And then you can get involved in the Lord's work through giving. But whatever you do, you need to do something that is involved in what the Lord is doing. By what? By reaching out to the world. That, that is the whole point of what we are going to see this morning. But it's not enough to just understand that the gospel is to go to all. What, what we see next is that the salvation message must go out. That it must be heard. Look at verses 36 to 41. As we see this, as Peter continues on. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with healing, or how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with the power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with Him after He arose from the dead. So in this, we see that, that the salvation comes in a message. And that message must be proclaimed. It, it reminds me of a story, I think they probably made it into a movie too, a, a, about a, a young man who receives a, a phone call from his uncle's lawyer. His uncle has died. And the lawyer leaves a message for him. And all the message says is, you need to call me back. Your uncle has died. We need to talk about his finances. And this young man interprets that as, oh, I know who my uncle was. 
He didn't have much money. He lived out in the middle of nowhere. Most likely he's in trouble with the law and he probably owes a whole bunch of money. So I'm never going to return that call. So he never returns that call. And you know what? His uncle was a multimillionaire. And instead, he missed that opportunity. Why? Because he had not heard the full message. You and I must proclaim the full message of Christ. And, and we see Peter doing that here. And where does he start? He starts with the condition of men. And he pins it on Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of the gospel. And he says it like this. He says, why did Jesus come? Jesus came in order to bring peace. We, we know that even from the account of Jesus' birth. Seen in Luke 2.14, where the angels come and what do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Peace among men. That is what Jesus came to bring to offer. And yet when we consider peace, what's implied in peace? What's implied is that, that we must be in war. And, and that right now we are not enjoying peace. And again, where, where is Peter going? He's going to the idea that all mankind, before salvation in Christ, all mankind is an enemy to God. As Romans chapter 3 teaches, that we are shaking our fists in God's face. That we are not running to God, we are running away from God. And that we are trying to go against Him as much as we can. We are hostile towards God. The world would say, no, that's not the way it is. The world would say, oh no, you're okay, and, and I'm okay. But, but the Word of God says, no, you're a mess and I'm a mess. And, and we need help. We, we need a solution to our problem, to our sin problem. Why? Because God is a holy God, and if things end the way that they are right now, without being reconciled, without being brought back to God, it is not going to go good for us. For all of eternity, we will be separated from Him. But praise the Lord, He has a solution. He has an answer. And who is that answer? It's very clear. The Lord Jesus Christ is the answer. And so what does He say? He gives us three ways that that shows that Jesus is the answer. And it all points to Jesus and how Jesus accomplished some things. First, it points to His life. The way that Jesus lived. And yet, notice, it doesn't start with, he doesn't start with his birth. He could have. He could have shown how different Jesus is from every other man that has ever walked the face of the earth, but he doesn't start there. He could have started there and shown that Jesus was born of a virgin, making it so that he did not have the sinful nature of man passed on to him, but he doesn't. Instead, he goes to John the Baptist. And that's important. Why? Because what was the purpose of John the Baptist's ministry? He was to prepare the way for the Messiah. He was to prepare the nation of Israel, just as we have seen Cornelius prepared. That's what John the Baptist was doing. Hey, there's one coming behind me that's greater than me. I'm just pointing, paving the way for him. And yet we also see their significance in Jesus's baptism by John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't get this. But Jesus understood it fully. And we see Peter understood it. As he says, when Jesus was baptized, what happens? Well, he's anointed by the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit in such a way that everyone present can see it. That the Spirit descends as like a dove 
Why? Because the Spirit is Spirit. You wouldn't be able to see Him unless some sort of physical representation was there. That is significant. Not because Jesus needed the Holy Spirit. He's God. He could have done everything in His own power and strength. But this is the way that God had designed it. To show you and I as believers that we need to do everything in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if Christ, who is God, indeed was doing things in the Spirit, then you and I even more so much much more so, (laughs) need the Holy Spirit in our lives to empower us. And so we see that, that yes, okay, the life of Christ is important. And yet, look at what he doesn't say. Peter doesn't even mention his preaching, his teaching. He says that he did good to people. And I believe that's significant. Perhaps the reason why he doesn't mention Jesus' teaching is because Jesus' teaching without first getting saved just becomes legalism. It just becomes a way to do this and to do that in order to earn His favor. And yet that is not the Gospel. The Gospel is Jesus does it all. And now you, by faith, trusting what He did on your behalf and because you are now His Child, because now you are his son or his daughter, you now walk in obedience before him as a loving child, wanting to serve him because he has been oh so good to you. Perhaps that's the reason why he doesn't mention Jesus' teaching, but he mentions these two things. First, he says that he does good things for people. No doubt he's speaking of healing sickness and disease. Not only that, but it shows his deity because nobody else could do the miracles that Jesus does. Even though we see miracles in the book of Acts, they're nothing compared to the amount of miracles that Jesus did. And we don't even have an accurate representation of all that Jesus did. Because it says that if they had written down all that He had done, you couldn't contain Him in the Scriptures. That's how many miracles He did. Even in the Old Testament, you cannot compare Moses with Jesus. You can't compare the apostles with Jesus. Why? Because it shows that He is God, they are not. But it, but it goes even further than that. It's not just that he did good, but that he was able to cast out demons. And it proves that he has dominance over Satan. And that is oh so important for you and I, because Satan is the ruler of this world. And Satan's heart desire is he knows that he is destined for hell. And he wants to take as many with him as he can. And we are shackled by sin and we are heading with Satan. Unless something happens and that is the gospel comes along and breaks the shackles and we trust in Christ, which is what we're going to see happens with Cornelius. So in this, we see that Jesus overcomes the power of Satan. And that's what's represented over and over again as he comes and casts out all these demons. But it's not enough just to merely tell someone that Jesus lived a perfect life and that His life manifested itself in such a way that He is indeed God. We must understand what Peter also mentions. And that is the second way that Jesus is the answer to man's problem is found in His death upon the cross. So this is the number two thing revolving Jesus' life. We need to speak of His life and that He was indeed God. We need to speak of His death. Because it was upon that cross that He took the punishment for sins. And the great exchange that you and I could not do, but He could. Why? Because He's God. 
But that's still not enough. And the third thing that, that Peter proclaims that shows that Jesus is the answer is that He was raised from the dead. And this needs to be part of what we share with others. We, we cannot forget to mention this. We, we can't take this out. You take this out and you no longer have the Christian faith. Because if Jesus didn't raise or be raised from the dead, then we do not know for certain whether or not God accepted His sacrifice. But we know that God was pleased with His sacrifice and as a result, He's raised from the dead. And then we're, we're, we're able to catch a glimpse into more of the purposes of God. The wonderful plan of God revealed in the resurrection that, that He actually chose certain individuals to be eyewitnesses of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Why? So that later on people couldn't point back and say, oh no, that isn't true. We're going to have witnesses and, and actually it's not going to be everyone. It's going to be a select few. And those select few are, are Peter and the apostles in particular. Why? Because they become the building blocks of the church. And so their message had to be validated, had to be verified. But we see even in this how incredible our God is that they didn't just witness His resurrection from miles away, but they, they spent time with Jesus. They ate with Him. They drank with Him, which lets us know that, that in the eternal state, we're, we're not going to be some sort of spiritual beings. We're going to have real physical bodies like Jesus. And again, all of this is, is pointing them to who? To Jesus Christ, the Savior. And it reveals to us that He was indeed a historical person. That He really did live. That He really did raise from the dead. And so we see who the Gospel is for. It's for everyone. What the Gospel is. It's, it's all about Christ. About His life. About His death. About His resurrection. And next we see how someone responds. Look at verses 42 to 43. The means of salvation. How do you then receive this salvation that, that Jesus is offering? This eternal life. You, you do it by believing, by faith in Him. And He ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and, of the, and the dead. Of Him all the prophets bear witness that through His name, everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins. So again here we see a little bit of a delineation, a, a different way of preaching the Gospel than, than Peter has been up to this point. Before when he actually gets to Jesus Christ, his whole argument is, oh, He is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ that, that was talked about in Isaiah, that was talked about in Jeremiah and Micah. And he takes his listeners back to the Word of God, back to the Old Testament. But here he doesn't do that. Why? Because he's speaking to those that, that wouldn't have any basis for understanding that. He's not talking to Jews anymore. And so what does he equate Jesus as? Who does he say Jesus is? He says that he is the judge. The judge, not one among many judges, the judge, and not just the judge of the living who he's preaching to, but the judge of the dead, that one day, by the power of Jesus Christ, all will rise. And at that point, all will stand before Christ. And at that time, it's only going to go one of two ways. 
Either you are going to stand before Jesus as the judge and He was going to sentence you to an eternity separated from Him in torment in hell, or you're going to stand before Jesus as your deliverer and as your Savior. It can only go one of two ways. That is what Peter is saying. And these guys are getting it. They are understanding. We must follow God's written word as to how we respond. Now, now maybe you're like me and you've actually had some Ikea furniture in the past. And you had the joy, the privilege of, of putting together that Ikea furniture. And perhaps you thought because you're like me, you're a guy and you're, you don't need instructions. And so you throw the instructions aside and you just do it. And then you find that this is flipped upside down and that's turned around backwards and, and this and that. And if you're really lucky, you didn't throw it in the trash where it's gone. Well, try coming to Papua New Guinea where you buy some furniture off of someone because they're leaving the field and they take it all apart and they put it in boxes because they're being so gracious to you. And then they fly it into your tribe and there's no dis- instructions anywhere. You don't even have a picture of what this thing is supposed to look like. And then you try to put it together. Okay, that, that is what some people do when it comes to salvation. They, they come up with their own plan as to how they are going to be made right with God. Okay, I know it's Jesus, but it's got to be part me too. So I'm going to come to church every Sunday for the next five years. No, how, how does one accept the gift of salvation? It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Him. What is your part? Your part is believing. Your part is trusting in Him and in Him alone. And, and, and the way that we can look at this is the means of salvation is through faith, through belief, to rely exclusively upon Him and Him alone. If we want to go back to the illustration of an airplane, and this time it's a real one, and you really are going to go to Hawaii, and somebody's given you a free vacation to Hawaii, you get in that plane with all your stuff and you're so excited. When you get in that plane, what are you doing? You are trusting that whoever engineered that airplane, that whoever the men are that actually look at that airplane, refuel it, make sure nothing's busted, there's no rivets popping out, that the engine isn't out of oil and, and, and the motor's... You know, all of the things that can happen. You don't think about those. You trust whoever the pilot is that's piloting you and whoever the men are that are looking after the maintenance of that particular aircraft. And generally, you get from point A to point B, you get to your destination. But even then, you are not sure. Because we know that sometimes airplanes, things go wrong. With Jesus Christ, it never goes wrong. Your salvation can never be taken back. Why? Because it isn't based upon you. It's based upon Him and what He did. And so for Cornelius and his family, I I believe it's clear that at at this point, this is when they trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Look at verse 44. And we see next that it's not just that God blesses us with salvation and saves us from from our sin and saves us from going to hell for, for all of eternity. It's all these other blessings that he gives, and, and we see this here with the Holy Spirit first. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Now, don't believe that just because it says all they were doing was listening, that that's all that's required in believing. 
No, this Greek word can also mean that they were understanding. And notice at the beginning of this verse that it, that it says, while Peter was still speaking, what? These words. What, what are these words? What is that referring to? You might think that it's referring to the last part of verse 43 about those who receive forgiveness of sins. But, but if you were looking at the Greek, you would see that that's not the last phrase of that sentence. The last phrase literally is everyone who believes in Him. He piles it at the end of the verse, I believe, for emphasis in order to stop. And, 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 and in some sort of case, maybe perhaps He's giving an altar call. And He's saying, everyone who believes in this Jesus of Nazareth, you will be granted forgiveness of sins. And stops and pauses. And I believe right there at that point, that is when Cornelius and all of those that are with him are saved. And as a result of them being saved, what happens? The Holy Spirit falls upon them. The first blessing from the Lord. But we see there are other gifts given as well. Look at verses 45 to 46, the first half. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. So we see here that the Holy Spirit does indeed give gifts. And the way that these gifts were manifested, the particular gifts at this time, was the gifts of tongues. And I know that we have dealt with tongues. And we have looked at them from Scripture. And I, and I, and I want to say, first and, and foremost, that the, the teaching on tongues, and, and whatever it is that your position, that your viewpoint, your vantage point on tongues is, it does not constitute whether or not you're going to be saved or not saved. You understand that, right? It isn't that those that are right about this are going to go to heaven and those that are wrong about this aren't going to go to heaven. This is not a salvation issue. But let me just explain the two different vantage points, viewpoints on tongues. Because there are two. There are those who believe that when the Word of God speaks of tongues, it is speaking of only one kind of tongues. That kind of tongues is the way that it's seen in Acts chapter 2. That it is a really known language that the people that are speaking it don't know. So it is a legitimate language. It's a legitimate language that that particular group has never heard before or known before, but at that particular time, they are given that foreign language and they are able to communicate it. Okay, the other viewpoint is, okay, yes, they believe that there is that kind of tongues, but they also believe that like 1 Corinthians... 12, 13, 14. And here they would go to Acts 10 and they would say, ah, but there's another tongues. And this tongues is an ecstatic speech. That This is a tongues that, that, that you, it's unintelligible. You don't know what the person is actually saying. And they would come to this and say, look, see? And yet as, as you look at this, you, it's not delineated one way or the other. You, you don't really know for sure exactly what is communicated here. What happened at, at this time? And so I believe from Scripture that we see that there is the only one kind of tongues, and that is the, the kind of tongues that are real legitimate languages but are unknown to that speaker. And the reason why I believe that this is even represented here in Acts 10 is, is because they recognize that they're glorifying God. 
Well, how would they know that they're glorifying God if this is some sort of kind of babble speech that nobody understands? Notice, too, that lots of times people would say, oh, tongues is something that that was just given to me. It's something that I do in in, in a prayer closet or or this or that. And, And remember, we need to go to God's word to inform our thinking. Not, not what we experience, but what God, God's word says. And, and consider what we've seen in Acts up to this point. Every time tongues is mentioned, it's mentioned in plural. It's mentioned in a group of people. On, on top of all of this, when, when we go to God's word, we need to, we need to always let the clear and definitive passage of scripture dictate the meaning of a less obscure passage. Are you, are you following that? That means that if another passage of Scripture is clear and clearly communicates exactly what tongues look like, who was involved, what were they, and this and that, as, the, as it does in Acts chapter 2, then when you come to Acts chapter 10 where it's not so clearly defined, it, it's, it's not wide open in, in exactly what, what the meaning is. He's only giving us a, a quick synopsis then you don't come to this passage and, and build your whole thinking on tongues. You, you look at what was revealed in chapter 2 and you use that to interpret chapter 10. On top of all of this, think with me for a moment, what is the purpose of this last section of Acts, chapter 10? Is this indeed to teach you and I about tongues? No, this passage is not about teaching of tongues, but it's about the teaching of the inclusion of the Gentiles. That, that's what the whole purpose is. That's the big picture of what's happening at the tail end here, actually throughout all of chapter 10, is that now, in a miraculous fashion, in a way that no Jew would have thought would happen, especially Peter, God is saying, no, I am including them into the mix. They are now welcome. In fact, the same Holy Spirit that came upon you, Peter, has come upon them. And you know how I'm going to validate it? You know how I'm going to prove to you that they are the same? Is I'm going to let the same exact thing that happened with you happen with them. So that you can know and you can testify to this when you go back to Jerusalem. They are good. They are one and of the same body. That's what the purpose is. And I think we can see this in the last verses. Look at verse 46, the last half all the way through to 48. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. And isn't that cool the way that it ends? Then they asked Peter, Hey, can we still spend time? Why? Because we need more teaching. We want to hear more of this Jesus Christ and all that He has done and all that you know about Him. But also notice what is going on. That baptism does not come before salvation. Why? Because it does not give salvation. Baptism is something that you do in obedience to the Lord. It's an outward manifestation of an inward reality of what has already happened because you're saved. But also notice in this... How cool it is that Peter, the apostle, the main apostle, he actually says, well, okay, hold on. Before we actually baptize him, am am I missing something? And he actually kind of seeks the counsel of these six other Jewish believers that are with him. And then notice who does the baptizing. I believe this is clear too, is he orders them to be baptized. doesn't say that he does the baptisms. No doubt he allows these six Jewish believers that came with him to baptize him. 
Why? Because he's discipling them. Because he recognizes that, that they could be the future leaders of the church. This is what should happen in every local church. That we should be discipling. That we should be giving opportunities for, for others to serve. You know, I, I, I normally close out with going through the, the points to ponder. Um, but instead, let me, let me close in prayer. And then I'll share one more thing just before we sing our, our closing song. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the reminder this morning of the salvation that is found in you, the Lord Jesus Christ, and found in no other. We thank you that this salvation is offered to all. We thank you that it's through the gospel that this gospel, that your precious good news that you came and died upon the cross, not for your own sins, but for the sins of others, that that is accepted by faith and only through faith, and that you accompany so great a salvation with other gifts, that you give us the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that if anyone here this morning has never truly come forward in faith and trusted you, Lord, I pray that they would come forward this morning. That they would come to one of us pastors, to one of us standing up here. And they would know the way of salvation, that they would trust in you entirely as their Savior. And that you would go with us from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.